Actually, as they sang that song, I, I, my mind goes to, to some of the more traditional versions of Amazing Grace and uh, how beautiful it is to know the grace of Jesus Christ, to know that He loves us just the way we are. Uh, I do have a thought this morning. Has anyone in here ever been sprayed by a skunk? Now, there's a reason I'm asking that. As I'm sitting in the, the pew there, I think a skunk must have sprayed the air conditioning units outside because as I'm sitting there, all of a sudden I could smell it. And I, oh, my goodness. It is a very unpleasant experience. But I don't know if the smell has just disappeared or if I've become so used to it now I don't even notice it. So it's okay. It is a blessing to be able to be with you, to be able to share in God's Word with you, and I've already shared a passage with you this morning. I'll, I'll read it again in just a moment. We're going to be in Psalm chapter 119 this morning. Uh, I will tell you the text is uh, verses 1 through 16, but I'm only going to focus on verses 1 through 8, just as there's uh, uh, that's really where the primary part of the message comes from. Uh, I'll start with this. It's been about 10 years since I received this phone call, uh, my best friend from high school, his name was Rich, he had taken his own life. We had all been together just a couple weeks earlier, and everything seemed to be somewhat okay. Sure, there were some problems, but everybody has some kind of problems. Unfortunately, in Rich's case, the problems must have seemed insurmountable. His mom stopped by his house one morning only to find him dead. Over the years, I have seen many others who have walked down a similar path to Rich. Over the years, as I've seen these individuals, some of them have succeeded in their attempts while others have failed. Even this week, I've had two conversations with families dealing with an attempted suicide this week. Depression is very real. Some forms of depression appear pretty common. Uh, postpartum depression is a type of depression that often women will struggle with, specifically after uh, having a child. It's a little bit, to me it seems really odd, but sometimes the mind works different. And that's a reality, and many, many women have struggled with this. Uh, there is a seasonal depression that takes place. If you're a Gamecock fan, we call that football season. Uh, just kidding. Actually, I guess I shouldn't be joking about depression, but um, actually seasonal depression is something that takes place typically during the winter time, especially in areas where it stays cold for a very, very long time. Uh, Seasonal depression can technically take place in a hot environment, with summer being where that begins to take place, but it's not reported nearly as frequently. Depression takes place often associated with health-related issues. Interesting, I did not realize this until I was talking with somebody else who had gone through some heart issues. One-third of all heart attack survivors will struggle with depression following their heart attack. 48% of anxiety disorders also struggle with depression. 27% of those who have addictive behaviors also will struggle with depression. 15% of the population will be diagnosed with depression, specifically severe depression. The most common age group to develop clinical depression 
is between ages 18 and 25, with senior citizens being the second most common group to struggle with this. Depression is a real issue that we must be aware of. You know, the easiest thing for us to do is to look in judgment upon those who are struggling with these types of issues. We see suicide as being far less than an escape. Instead, it's simply us passing our pain on to many others. And there is some truth to that. But in addition, we sometimes look at depression as somewhat of a spiritual problem. Man, if they just loved God more, or if they just knew how much God loved them, then they would never have to deal with depression. But is that really true? Not, not the part of, does, does God love them? We know that he loves them so much that he would send Jesus Christ as a sacrifice for them. But just knowing that God loves you, will that keep you from depression? Just over a month ago, a California senior pastor took his own life after previously having to deal with depression for many, many years. And I have personally known many pastors who have had to fight with bouts of depression, burnout, and even bipolar disorder. Are you sure that it's just a spiritual issue that's in play? Science sees it differently. According to well, Very Well Mind, they write this, there's no single cause of depression. According to research, it can be the result of brain chemistry, hormones, genetics, as well as life experiences and physical health. Now, I would look at it from a slightly different perspective, saying that maybe we need to look at the spiritual first. They begin with all of the physical issues and then go to life experiences. I'm going to tell you that God is the only one who can truly bring us satisfaction and peace, but... There is a physical nature to depression. I want to answer this question about whether or not God's Word addresses depression today using Psalm 119, beginning in verse 1. This is what it says one more time. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep His statutes and seek Him with all their heart. They do no wrong, but follow His ways." You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. I will obey your decrees. So do not utterly forsake me. Although this passage is not solely intended to address this issue of depression, it is easy to connect the issues that are addressed here with the issues of depression. The general idea of this passage is that if you do these things, then you will be in good shape. If you do these things, there are certain natural responses that will come from it. But it's important to note that if you do not do these certain things then there will likely be consequences as well. So let's look at it. Now, you should note going into this that this is not an exhaustive list, but there are at least four different reasons for depression as drawn out of this passage. The first is absolutely a spiritual nature. It is the issue of sin and shame. Think about the first two verses for a moment. 
If someone is blessed for being blameless, for keeping God's law and seeking God with all their heart, then what happens to the one who is dominated by sin? If the blessing is connected by obedience and living according to God's law and seeking him out, what happens if you're not doing those things? According to verse 6, when we choose not to keep the decrees of God, shame comes into play. Verse 8 brings in the idea that God might forsake the individual who is living in such a way. By the way, we know that God has already promised he will never leave us nor forsake us. So the real issue is not that God might wander from us, but rather we might wander from him. I want you to think about what's being said here. Compare it to your own life. When you have done something that you know you shouldn't do, what happens? As a child of God, conviction begins to set in. Yet you immediately feel this sense of guilt and shame, regretting your choice. It's kind of like Peter on the night of Jesus' arrest. When Peter was told ahead of time that on that very same night, Peter would deny Christ three times. Peter declared, no way. Even if everybody else would turn their back on you, I would never do that. Jesus said, before this very uh, night is over, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Well, as that night would play out, Jesus would be arrested. And now Peter would find himself in a position. He has denied Christ not once, not twice, but three times. And in Luke chapter 22, we read this. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And it says this, And Peter went outside and he wept bitterly. Why did Peter weep so bitterly? He didn't just just kind of wander off with a little tear trickling out of his eye. It says he wept bitterly. He wept so bitterly because he was ashamed of what he had done. He was ashamed of his sin. You know, sin may be pleasurable for a time, but it always carries with it regret. People get hurt. We disappoint others. We disappoint God. And yes, sometimes we even disappoint ourselves. And the mere idea that we might be defeated by sin, it is shameful to us because we know that we ought not to be like that. So sin and shame can very clearly lead people to depression, even those who are in the church. Now, let me just say this. It would be easy for us to make this just a spiritual issue. Someone's going through depression. Well, they must have a sin problem in their life. But that's not necessarily true. This is just the first example that we see in this passage. A second cause of depression is related closely to this. I've entitled this simply separation from God. But let's consider it for a moment. Verse 2 talks about the value of seeking God with all of your hearts. 
to best address this, let me just say that seeking God is not the same thing as seeking God with all of your hearts. Do you understand the difference here? I can seek God without necessarily having to put a whole lot of effort into it. But when I begin to seek God with all of my heart, that becomes the most important thing to me. We live in a quote-unquote Christian culture that has been taught to seek God, but rarely is it done with all of our hearts. Instead, our hearts are pulled in so many different directions We have relationships that have become a priority to us. We are concerned over our self-image. We've got future plans that we need to accomplish, and we're going to push forward on those things. And although we want God to be a part of our lives, we rarely seek Him with all of our hearts. Instead, He is simply one among the many things that we have. Listen to me. We are in a very dangerous place When we fail to seek God with all of our hearts. There's nothing wrong with having those great relationships. There's nothing wrong with having a plan for your life and wanting to do something bigger than yourself. But those things must be secondary to our pursuit of God. The reason is that all of these other things will eventually disappoint us. People will fail you. Success will elude you, but God will remain faithful through everything. You've probably heard the phrase, no God, no peace. It's actually a a play on words because the term no can mean a couple different things depending on how you spell it. No God as in N-O, no God means you will have no peace. If God is not a part of your life, you need to understand that you will never truly be satisfied. You will never have the peace that only God can offer. The flip side to that is to know God is to know peace. Now we're talking about K-N-O-W. When you begin to truly know God intimately, to, to know Him as if He is more than just some idea that is out there, but rather you get to know Him as the Savior, as the Messiah, as the one who gave His life for you, the one who created everything, created you even in His own image. When you begin to know Him for who He is, you will begin to know a peace that is far different from anything that this world can offer. Know that there will be times when we do not know God. If, we, if there is no God in our lives, there will be times that we will experience despair and emptiness. It is one cause of depression. Now, I'd also like to cover an aspect of this related to knowing God in a very different way. Sometimes we look at depression and there's no positive side that comes with it, except I'm going to tell you this, sometimes in the midst of our brokenness, we are forced to call upon God more intimately and more intentionally than we ever have before. Maybe you get a report from the doctor and the doctor says, hey, you know what, it's cancer. Man, at that moment, I don't know if maybe it's been 10 years since you prayed. At that moment, you're going to pray. Because you want to make sure that things are right between you and God. And you know He's your best help. Sometimes in the midst of despair, in the midst of crisis, we are forced to call upon God more intimately and intentionally than we ever have before. Well, for many, depression has become God's tool for us to call out to Him. 
I'm not telling you that God allows you to go through depression only to draw you closer to him. But what I am telling you is God is able to use whatever we face to draw us closer to him. And for some of us, we've looked at depression, and it is likely that based on the size of this room, some of you have had to deal with depression over the years. And maybe through that, God has simply been causing you to have to depend more on him instead of trying to do it on your own. Depression is not necessarily always a bad thing. Another issue is that is something that could be easily missed at first glance. It is the issue in this passage of solitude or loneliness. I don't know if you noticed this in our passage, but there is a significant difference that takes place in the first four verses as opposed to the rest of the passage. Remember this passage, technically we could go all the way through verse 16 and we're still dealing with the same issue. The first four verses, there is a plurality that is present in the words used. In those first four verses, as we look at it, It refers to blessed are those or blessed are they. And there are references to people being in groups together. But beginning in verse 5, it is all about me. It's all about what I do. Now maybe this isn't the original intent of the author, but there is no doubt that loneliness absolutely will feed into depression. I told you earlier that the largest group of people to struggle with depression are young people age 18 to 25, and that the second largest group are senior citizens. Now, seems really extreme that we're talking about those two groups because you look at the 18 to 25-year-olds, and man, they've got more opportunities than they've ever had to connect with other people, but they've also experienced loneliness more easily than probably any generation to come that has come before. In addition, figure the seniors, one of the issues that comes into play is the people that we've loved and we've cared for for so long, they're taken from us. And guess what? Sometimes what's left is loneliness. Not really sure exactly how we're going to make it. Loneliness or solitude can be a horrible thing for someone to endure. Now, I would take this as a moment to, to say that sometimes we have intent. We have unintentionally created loneliness. Social media, it's actually uh, ironic that social media, the purpose of it is to allow people to connect more with other people, to be able to talk to people they haven't talked to in a long time, to be able to see what's going on in people's lives. And some of you are Facebook stalkers. I know it. Some of you guys, you're on Facebook all the time, and you could tell me everything that's going on in so-and-so's life because you're on there all the time. But just because you know what's going on in other people's lives doesn't make you less lonely. In fact, what has happened is we've become even more lonely because we've lost the ability to actually communicate and interact with people. Young people, they'll spend hours playing video games or whatever else that draws their attention. What happens is they they fail to even socialize with the people that are sitting in the same room with them. You go to dinner and everybody pulls out their phone. You're all sitting around the table and everybody's got their phone out texting or checking Facebook or checking sports or whatever else. And we have become a very lonely society even when people are all around us should not be that way. 
let me use this as an opportunity to challenge each individual who is here. We're not into the response stuff yet, but let me use this as an opportunity to challenge each individual to intentionally step out of isolation. Maybe you don't think you need to be a part of a church family or a small group or a Sunday school class. Maybe you don't need a lot of those relationships. Maybe you feel like other people just don't want you around. Tough. Get out there and get involved. Be intentional to plug in. You will benefit from it as much as other people will. And whether you realize it or not, they need you as much as you need them. Be intentional to break that sense of isolation. Go and get involved. The final cause that is implied in this passage is simply the fact that we are imperfect human beings. This is not a spiritual issue. Instead, it is simply a human issue. Verses 9 through 16, we see references to the heart, to the mind, and even to the lips. Know that the human mind is imperfect. Certainly, we were all created in perfection as we were created in the image of God, but the very introduction of sin into humanity resulted in us being less than perfect beings. So what's my point? Although there are many things that feed depression, which are the direct result of our own choices, the reality is that not all depression is caused by our personal choices. There truly are those who struggle with chemical imbalances And there really are those who are legitimately dependent on medication to stay in the right frame of mind. Now, i got to say this because, man, I've, I've heard individuals in the church who have made this just a spiritual issue at times, yet they have clinical issues of depression. I'm telling you, do not go off your medication just because you think this is a spiritual issue. Far too many times, individuals who are dependent upon that medication have gone off it and they've done really dumb things that they regret and they hurt afterwards. I'm not telling you you have to be dependent on medication, but some of us actually need it. And if that's the case, don't do something foolish and stop taking your medication. Don't stop receiving counsel. I was talking with someone recently. They're going through some counseling and uh, they've been struggling with some issues that are very common, but there are things that they just reached a point they realized they couldn't do it on their own anymore. They needed help. They needed someone to help walk them through basically how to fix these things. And after meeting two or three times, the individual came back to me and said, I don't know how people do it without receiving counsel. He said, so many of us are so broken, we need, we need others to come alongside us and to help us to see the right direction. And it is not a sign of weakness that you might need medication or you might need counseling. It is a sign of maturity that you recognize it. And I encourage you to be faithful with that. Now, I will tell you that this passage does more than just identify cause. It also tells us what you ought to do because of the struggles that you face. The first thing that we see looking at the counter to depression is found in verse 7. It says, I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. If you truly want to be able to fight against this tendency toward depression, begin by looking at how good God has been. I will praise you. Let me ask you a question. How has God been good to you? 
Where has his faithfulness shown up in your life? Where, what are the things that he does for you every single day that perhaps you have taken for granted? You look and you see your brokenness and you see the situations that you're going through right now and man, it almost becomes overwhelming. I, I kind of feel depressed about it. What has God done for you that you have forgotten? What are the good things that God has blessed you with? How has he shown himself to be faithful to you over and over and over again? Maybe instead of us simply looking at all of our brokenness, we ought to look at some of the healing that has already taken place. How has God been faithful to you? Now, interesting, it says here, I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. He's not just talking about the food that you have on your table, although you should be grateful for the food that he puts on your table. He's not just talking about the other people that are a part of your life, although you should be grateful for the people that he has allowed to be a part of your life. He says, I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. What he is saying is, I find within my God something that fulfills me. I find within my God something that, and it may call me to a difficult standard, but I find within him something worthy of praise. Look at God's faithfulness, even within his law. God has been very, very good to you. A second response to depression is obedience to God. We see this weaved all throughout this passage, but specifically in verse 8, it says, I will obey your decrees. There is an idea within this entire passage that if you are to truly experience fulfillment and blessing, then you must walk in a way that is honoring of God. You must walk in obedience to him. For far too many of us, we have allowed sin to reign in our lives to the point that we look at it every day and we know that we are defeated by this sin. And the natural result that comes out of it is a feeling of almost helplessness. There's nothing I can do. I'm stuck. I'm trapped. There's never been a sin that God has not made a way for us to get out of. God has always provided us a way out of temptation so that we don't have to be enslaved by that sin. I was talking with a Sunday school class this morning, and uh, we were talking about the idea that God has, uh, has a plan for us, and sin really is not a part of it. Actually, God does not intend for us to remain in our sin, but rather for us to be set free from that sin so that we can walk in a way that honors Him. If you really want to leave much of the depression behind, let's start walking in victory rather than in defeat. Now, I will tell you this, there'll be times that you struggle, but as you struggle, you will still know that God is faithful. He will always be faithful. I remember, maybe this is too simple, but for me, it stands out. First of all, you ever been on a team that wins a lot? It's a lot of fun. You like going in and you win and you feel good afterwards. I think I've told you before, my high school football team that I played on, we were, uh, we were undefeated my junior year. It was a great experience, loved doing it. Um, we would go in and uh, each of the players, we, we had to go in in pairs and we would hold hands walking in. 
have to walk past all the fan, fans and, and they would yell all kinds of insults about us being gay or whatever else because we were holding each other's hands. And I think that we won on average by about 56 to 7 uh, most of our games. So as we'd walk out, very few of them were still making fun of us afterwards. Uh, man, that felt really good to be on a winning team. But I think some of the times that I enjoyed most were after games that we lost, where we would find other things to be able to smile and laugh about. I'm going to tell you, there are going to be things that don't work out the way that you think that they should. There are going to be times that you walk away thinking, man, I am really disappointed that things turned out the way that it did. But do you know that in the midst of that, God can still bless you and be there with you? And part of it is us saying, hey, I'm going to walk in his ways. And even when other things happen, I'm still going to find something good within this. There are going to be times other people do things to you. There's going to be times that you hurt. There are going to be times that you suffer. But walking in obedience gives you the opportunity to still rejoice, to know that he is still faithful with you. My question to you here is what currently robs you of peace? For some of us, it is maybe a relationship that's unhealthy. For some of us, there is this sense of, I can't believe I let myself get into this situation. I can't believe that I've said these things. I can't believe that I've done these things. What is it that robs you of peace today? Whatever it is, it does not belong in your life. The last defense against depression is this. It is found in verse 9, and it's simply living for God. It says, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. Now, this ties in a little bit with the act of obedience, living according to your word. And it does say a young person, but I'm going to extend it to those who are seniors as well, because I think it applies to us. How can we truly stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. God desires that we live according to his word. Now, where this comes into play for us, and I use the phrase here, living for God, it's time for many of us to start living instead of just existing. You see, for some of us, we have been so blinded by our sin, by our brokenness, our circumstances, that we have stopped truly living. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to God's word. It's time for us to live as those who have been redeemed, to make choices that would honor him and to find ways to be used by him. We need to be about making a difference for the people in our world and in doing so, make a difference for God. How many broken people are around you who are struggling with depression? Something maybe that you yourself have dealt with and you have the opportunity to help them. Say, Pastor, why are you talking about depression? This is, it just seems so out of sorts. You know, the series that we've been doing, it's entitled, You Asked For It. Do you know that depression is something that the church has had to struggle with for a long time, but we've done so in silence? Because we don't want to appear as if we're broken in some way. And if, if I admit that depression is there, then maybe, maybe I'm not going to be looked at in a positive way by the rest of the church. Sometimes it is a spiritual issue that's in play, but there is a natural human aspect of this as well. We live in a fallen world where brokenness will take place. 
My challenge to you is this. You cannot change all of those things. You cannot change the fact that you are human. You cannot change the fact that there may be some form of brokenness that is physically just a part of your mind. But you can deal with some of those other issues. If your heart is not right with God, then it needs to become right with Him. If you have unconfessed sin in your life, you need to address that sin. If your relationship with Him is not what it's supposed to be, if you are not seeking Him with all of your heart, you need to begin to seek Him with all of your heart. The only way to change is to be intentional to seek Him with everything. As you do, God will give you victory. You may still have some struggles. Remember I told you, don't jump off the medication. But what I am telling you is find your peace in Him above all else. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, as we come before you today, well, we know that this is a different kind of message, and maybe for some of us we've never had to deal with any of these things. And it's completely irrelevant to us because to us, well, it's just not something we relate to. But we recognize here today that there are likely others who have struggled specifically with this. There have been times where depression has dominated their lives and they don't even want to get out of bed in the morning. They cannot see how you could ever have anything good to say or think about them. Yet you love them more than life itself. But I do pray that you would make clear to each individual who is here exactly how much you love them. And then I pray that you would cause us to have good spiritual habits to seek you with everything, to obey you with everything, to live according to your word, to not be separated, but to be united with others who are on this journey with us. <coughs> and I pray that as we do that, Lord, that you would work to grant us peace and fulfillment like we've never had before. We confess that our bodies are broken, and we've talked about it before. We know that you're the great physician. I do pray that you would heal the mind. I pray that as the, the God who created everything, that you would go into our minds, and where there is mental brokenness, that you would bring healing. We believe you can do it physically, so why can't you do it in a mental capacity? But until that time comes, help us simply to be obedient and disciplined to do the things we ought to do. Would help us to find our strength and our peace in you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Again, this is a very different kind of message, and this is uh, actually the last one in this series on um, really uh, what people have asked for. Uh, next week we'll start into another series, but I just want to challenge you, uh, be faithful, because really the response is our relationship with him. If we can make sure that's where it's supposed to be, then we'll probably be in a pretty good place, but also realize that there are other factors that come into play. Thank you for being with us this morning. Go in peace.